Good morning, everyone. So um, good to be here with you on this. It's a beautiful spring morning, and um, I'm here to share bold trust, resting on a trustworthy God, and we're looking in the life of Moses. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would just lift off any of the distractions of the world around us. Help us to just concentrate on who you are and what you have done for us. And Lord, just be with my words. Help them, Lord, to be your words as people hear them. In Jesus' name, amen. So I wonder if you've heard of the American magazine, Christianity Today. It's been published for many years and covers a wide range of Christian topics. It has actually been 60 plus years and it has a positive message for the Christian church. Recently, they have been presenting a number of podcasts and one that I have been listening to is called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It has seven parts so far to it and covers in storytelling format, the rise of the mega church at Mars Hill, it's in Seattle, USA, and the fall of the same church. The church originally started with three people, Mark Driscoll, Leith Moy, and Mike Gunn, and gradually increased to a congregation of tens of thousands started from a house Bible study to ended up to be 15 locations in four US states. Over the years, the church went from a committed group of elders, they each sharing responsibility and order for the running of the church, until one man gradually thought he was the only one who could be trusted to run the church. He gradually fired, shamed, ostracized the other leadership. When all his godly checks and balances were removed, he soon drifted bit by bit into a narcissism that was toxic in the church and trust was eroded and the church faltered, finally disbanding. Many of the congregation did not survive in their faith through this. They put their trust in the wrong person, the pastor of the megachurch instead of Jesus, our Christ. They held the pastor up as a God with a little g. It is easy for us to look at this and say, oh, it wouldn't be us. But is that so? I tell this story in the hope we can be wary of our inner voice, which pings when someone we trust presents a half-truth as truth. Trust, by definition, means a firm belief in the reliability, truth, or ability of someone or something. We need trust in our lives. It is part of being human. And trust can also be called faith. In some of the translations, especially the Jewish translation of this passage in Hebrews, 
the word trust is used instead of the word faith. Our translations that we've used here today have the word faith, but it could be trust. So the definition of faith then is complete trust, I use this, the word there, in someone or something. So I'll use both words throughout this talk and they will mean the same thing for this talk today. So faith equals trust, trust equals faith. In many of my prayer ministry sessions, betrayal and trust, broken, were often key issues we had to deal with as I ministered to the hurting people. Husbands and wives who broke their word, children who made weird decisions, parents doing the wrong thing, and lastly, or oh, just one of them, pastors who abused or betrayed confidences. I wonder what has been the hardest or most challenging experience of your life where you lost trust. Who helped you through it? Who has been the most significant nurturer in your life in the ways of the Lord? And how has that person influenced your personal development? When we look at this passage in Hebrews and Exodus, we see faith and trust in Moses. So first of all, who was Moses? He was one of the most important prophets in Judaism, that's Judaism, the Jewish faith, and hence Christianity. He was the leader of the Israelites and writer of the Torah. This is the name we give to the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, etc. He presented the Ten Commandments from God to the Israelites as their law to live by. So he's very prominent in our faith. And he was born in a time when his people, the Israelites, are slaves in Egypt. Many years before, we have the story of Joseph and his brothers. Joseph was a leader in, the, in Egypt before a great famine. And you might remember him from his technicolor dream coat that he had. Well, his father, Jacob, had a and, and his Joseph's 11 brothers and their families, they traveled to Egypt at a really prosperous time to get food during this famine. But they remain in Egypt. And soon, Joseph and his good work is forgotten, and the whole nation are made slaves to the Egyptians. And they are slaves for 430 years. They probably thought they were never going to be released. But into this story comes Moses. And Moses' life falls into four, three 40-year periods. The time in Egypt when he was being raised, which I'll talk about, the time in Midian, and also the time, this is the time in the wilderness, and then when he actually leads the people out of Egypt. So look at the, let's look at the passage. The three periods are represented here. And the first period 
or the first situation, can be found in Hebrews 11:23, And I'll read it again. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So who do we... So who do we see showed the first initial step of trust or faith in Moses' life? His parents. The Pharaoh in Egypt decreed that all the baby boys of the Israelites were to be thrown into the Nile River to drown. Pharaoh feared the nation. They were getting too populated and could overthrow him in time. So Moses' parents sensed how special he was, like no ordinary child, and he would be for their people. And so they hid him in bulrushes of the Nile River so he would not be killed. Pharaoh's daughter finds him in the water in a basket and raises him to be his own. How special is this? His parents trusted God to attend to their little one because of their trust in God. He would then live in Pharaoh's court for the next 40 years. So the trust faith journey involves Moses identifying himself with his own people, the Israelites. Before this, he was living it up in the Egyptian court. He could see these slaves in Goshen, which was the area where they all lived, but he just ignored them. But he comes to a point at this 40 years where he makes the decision to no longer be treated as an Egyptian. What a choice. So verse 24 and 25 then says, by faith or trust, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So Moses here makes a deliberate choice to turn away from the path of power and influence. He decides it was better to be mistreated in the company of God's people than to be treated well in the halls of political and economic power. He said no to one path and yes to a more difficult path in choosing to align himself with the Hebrew people. We now come to his second 40-year period. Because of these choices, he has to leave Egypt. There's many things that happen, which I'm not going to go in there. You can read the passage. And he spends the next 40 years in Midian, which is in the wilderness. He gets married, he has children, and then he has a miraculous encounter with, a, with God in a burning bush and he ends up coming back to Egypt. So now we're going to look at the next verses in Hebrews. 
verse 26 and 27. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, and he persevered because he saw who is invisible. This is a little bit of an unusual passage, and I'll try and unpack it a bit. It's got those words, for the sake of Christ, and then he's got, he saw in the future who is invisible. So, let be a moment. Shivers. Sorry. So this is, um, as I said, a strange verse. And as far as we are aware, Moses didn't know about Jesus. Or did he in some way? He says he mentions, or the Hebrews mentions Christ, but did Moses know Christ? What we do know is that the writer of the book to Hebrews, which is in the New Testament, he did understand who Christ was and had no difficulty in connecting the dots between the faith and trust of the people in Father God in the Old Testament to the people of faith in the New Testament. The two are interchangeable because throughout the whole of the history of the people of Israel, they knew that they were the people of the Christ, often referred to as the Messiah. And God has been revealing Jesus directly to their hearts and to our hearts. And that's what he's been doing all along. And he did this in the life of Moses. When we do come to Moses, we come to a key issue for here. For the author to the Hebrews, remember he's writing in the first century, and he's writing to Jewish people who have heard the gospel. And they've made some kind of outward profession of faith in Christ. But now they're under pressure. They're being persecuted, probably by Jewish authorities and their neighbours and relatives and friends, to forsake Christ and to turn their back on Christ and go back to the law of Moses. So in their minds, Moses, it's Moses versus Jesus. And that's the way they saw it. They were being tempted strongly, pressed by this persecution and other troubles, to turn their backs on Jesus and go back to Moses. So when he writes this passage in Hebrews, he's saying, no, no, Moses knew about Christ. He knew there was a future. So you don't have to go back. You can't go back to Moses because he already knew about Christ. So the people the book of Hebrews is written to were probably lived in Jerusalem, the Christians who lived there, and they were asking all these questions about Jesus. Very few in history before this had restored sight to the blind. And so they were saying, who is this Jesus? Where did he come from? It's quite obvious to us, but back then they didn't know. So we know he came from God. 
And they were saying, we're disciples of Moses. So as for this man, Jesus, we don't know who he is. And so these Jewish first century people of faith were being tempted to forsake Jesus to go back to Moses. So therefore, the writer of Hebrews answers these questions by this statement, and I'll go back to that verse. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. So Moses did know about Christ, so why not follow him? So Moses knew a Messiah was expected for the people, and he went to the Israelites rather than the riches of Egypt. And so by trust, Moses looked ahead to Christ. He was seeing Christ by trust. That's what the author is asserting here, and I hope you follow that um, explanation. You might have to listen to it again. So looking forward or looking ahead is part of trust, and Moses possessed this. I wonder if you do. True, godly faith is defined as trust, relying on God when looking to the future and obeying even when we don't fully understand all the details. So if we continue our look at Moses' life, we look to the next verses, which are the beginning of his next 40 years. So verse 27 by faith, he left Egypt. Not fearing his, the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. So where does this verse come from? Well, modern-day Jews still celebrate the Passover today. It occurs every year around the same time we celebrate Easter. It is still important to them. Why is that? Let's look at the passages of Scripture and see. The description of the first Passover was read to us today and can be found in Exodus 12. So what's been happening? Moses has returned from the wilderness of Midian to complete God's assignment to lead the slaves in Egypt out from Pharaoh's influence. The Egyptians had already lived through nine previous plagues, frogs, lice, wild animals, boils, locusts, to name a few. But Pharaoh's heart is still stubborn and he will not let the Israelites leave Egypt. The 10th plague is going to touch the families of the Egyptians in a more direct way. The firstborn of each family is to die not only in the family, but the livestock and all their animals, all their, the things they hold dear. But the Israelites are to be spared this plague, 
if they follow the instructions given by God to Moses. They were read to us from Exodus 12, but I'll read again what it says. Go and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, that's a mint-like plant, dip it into the blood in the basin, that's the blood from the animal, and put some blood on the top and both sides of the door frame of all your houses. And none of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway. He will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. So the writer in Hebrews in the New Testament is referring to this incident in verse 28. He says, by faith, he kept the Passover. In other words, he did kill the lamb and do the whole application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. He's saying Moses had bold trust in God. God would save them from the death in their families of the firstborn. After this, Pharaoh led the lets the Israelites leave slavery and begin their journey to the promised land. The act of the Passover itself involved great trust on the behalf of Moses and the Israelites. Trust that God would be true to his promise and spare their children if they obeyed instructions about putting blood on the door frames of their homes. This is particularly relevant today. There are so many voices vying for our attention. While I am not comparing the plagues of the Old Testament to the pandemic happening today, nevertheless, God's provision can be seen at this time, such as our wonderful medical system and especially the provision of vaccines. Like the people of Israel who had trust in God's decisions through Moses, we need to trust in his provisions today. I wonder what your personal Egypt is, where you need to leave and go away, where you need to trust God for help. Does your trust need a boost? Do you have trust to rear your children according to the Bible? Is instilling God's word and trust in your children a priority in your life? Do you have trust to choose God's will? Are you willing to choose suffering for Christ over sinful pleasures? Do you have faith to follow God's word even in the face of opposition? Have you, by faith, trusted Christ for salvation? If your faith needs a boost, let God have his way in your life today.
Well, Moses did not know that he was the one who would take on this work, but his trust was still in the right place. In verse 27 at the end, we read, persevered because he saw him who is invisible. The key to perseverance is to see God through Christ. This brings us to the last 40 years of Moses' life. We find Moses and all the people, the Israelites, wandering in the wilderness after leaving Egypt before reaching the Promised Land. The first thing they have to do is cross the Red Sea, an incredible story that children and adults are fascinated with the details. I can remember the the movie that I watched with my own children and it had the, the sides of the sea up and you could see the fish sitting in the sea looking at the people of Israel crossing. A bit of a, a stretch there with that movie but still fascinating. And it is found in the last verse now reading today if, from Hebrews, verse 29, by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Israelites tried to do so, they were drowned. It takes faith to walk into the midst of the sea with water piled high to both your left and right side, trusting that you will make it safely across. However, this is exactly what the Israelites did as they fled from the Egyptians. God demonstrated his power both to Israel and the nation of Egypt as he fully delivered his children from their captors. I don't think you can find a more apt example of bold trust than this. The people of Israel were able to cross the Red Sea, thanks to a miraculous parting of the waters by God. Moses was there holding up his arms as the sea separated. When the Egyptian army, sent by a vengeful Pharaoh who'd now changed his mind, attempted to follow them, they were obliterated by those same waves. The Israelites crossed the Red Sea because they trusted God and his messenger, Moses. The Egyptian army tried to cross the Red Sea because they saw Israel doing it and wanted to follow them for revenge, but failed. This obedience to God by Moses and the Israelites was driven by trusting faith and it results in victory. But how do we do that? How do we have trust like Moses? I started this talk telling you about the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. People there were putting their trust in men. They became disillusioned, fearful, betrayed. How do we overcome this tendency? By the following. Like Moses, we see inspiration and strength by looking to Jesus. Further on in Hebrews, in Hebrews 12, verse 2 and 3, it says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, 
the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We all have to choose where to put our trust. Let us pray. Father, we know that you are the one we need to trust. And Lord, we pray that you would help us today in all things to look to you, to understand when you're guiding us, when you put things before us which are from you. Help us to take up what is from you and put down what is not from you. So go before us this day in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>